and we're back at it. I'm Gervier Bra. I'm here with Chamal Karsandu, and we are Screen Off Script. This week, we're getting into WandaVision, the future of the movie industry, and all the major news items of the week. Folks, it's showtime. Constantly advocating on behalf of super-powered individuals. And all you people who left still have the luxury of optimism. You have no idea what it was like, what it took to keep the lights on. All right, and we're back. In our first segment, we're talking episode six of WandaVision, titled All New Halloween Spooktacular. But if you want to skip around to our new segment or our recommendation segment, Let's Get Wrecked, we got timestamps in the description, and don't forget to subscribe. Now, Chumbat, how you feeling this week? We're currently going through the worst snowstorm in the world. Yeah, I mean, I think this it's snowing everywhere. It's snowing in Texas. It's snowing in the UK. Mm. Basically, the the polar ice caps are melting, global warming, and we're getting extreme weather in spots where, you know, snow doesn't normally typically fall. But talk about a guy who like snow doesn't typically fall. You're from the UK. I know. Isn't this hell? Like, doesn't this doesn't make you regret it a little nah, bit? Yeah, <laughs> you know, you got to take the rough of the smooth sometimes, you know. And for everything that Canada and Toronto, and, you know, specifically gives me couple of months of snow, couple of months of shoveling the snow in the morning to kind of start your day, it's worth it in my opinion. Uh, every winter I have at least one Canada regret period, <laughs> every single year. Uh, this year it's right now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, let's get into it. Can you hit us with that recap from Division? I certainly can. So this is a, a late 1990s, early 2000 setting. Wanda wants to spend time with Tommy and Billy's first Halloween together as a family, but Vision tells her that He's going to go on to patrol the streets with the neighborhood watch. Pietro offers to step in as a father figure and takes the boys trick-or-treating, causing mischief with his super speed, which Tommy is now shown to have inherited as well. Meanwhile, Vision explores further away from the house and finds that the residents of Westview are standing frozen in their positions, including Agnes. Vision ends up speaking to Agnes' real self and she tells him that he's dead. Outside of Westview, Hayward orders Monica, Darcy and Jimmy to leave the base for disagreeing with his decision to attack Wanda, but they sneak back inside. They hack into his computer and discover that he's actually been tracking Vision's vibranium signature. Vision tries to push through the static wall, which we're obviously calling the Hex, but he begins to kind of disintegrate and starts to perish and die, I guess. Billy senses this and tells Wanda and she ends up expanding the hex static wall. Vision, Darcy and several sword agents are enveloped by this new boundary on our trapped inside and that is where we end this episode. It's pretty pretty awesome stuff. Well the crazy thing is this week it was actually confirmed that WandaVision is the most popular TV show in the world. Which is crazy considering it's the first Marvel show. It's on a streaming platform. It came off like a really rocky start. Mm -hmm. Like there's so many things that kind of, I don't know, were kind of rocky in the beginning of it. And it's already the most popular show on TV. But I feel like those early episodes are kind of, were laying the foundations. And you don't kind of get the payoff that you get in episodes four, five, and six and where we're at right now. Without having to, I guess, you know, pay your dues in those early few episodes. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But what, what did you think of this episode? Really good. Uh, for me, though, it was uh, just a, a smidge not as good as as last week. I think it was going to be so hard to top the the shock cliffhanger of seeing um, Quicksilver mm-hmm. arrive at the end of last week 
last week's episode played by Evan Peters. I mean, that has just had everybody kind of, I guess, brainstorming in, in, in and theorizing and, you know, what's going on and, and all that kind of stuff. We have some answers from this week's episode. Yeah. But in general, I just feel like things are escalating nicely here. We're, we're getting to a situation where I, I, I'm, I'm sure by the next week's episode, it's going to be kind of at the modern family era or something like that. Yeah. And we're coming to the end. We are actually coming to the end of, of WandaVision. And we've been told this lays the foundation and plants the seed for what we're going to see in the next Doctor Strange and Spider-Man movies. So, man, this is this is a, a big, big moment for the whole of Phase 4. This was the first uh, week where I felt like I could directly relate to the themes that they had this year. Right. Because it was the 90s. I grew up in those 90s. I used to watch Malcolm in the Middle. Uh, it was completely inspired by that. The way they were shot. Everything like that. Also... Malcolm in the Middle just had its 21-year anniversary. Yep. Um, but yeah, that that was pretty awesome to see. But also, we just got so many answers this mm-hmm. week. Like, uh, first things first, in my head, I've kind of actually abandoned the whole Mephisto nightmare kind of theories that kept going on in my head. Like, I started realizing that it was kind of skewing how I was watching the show. Because right. the whole time, I just kept thinking, all right, well, is that somebody who might be Mephisto? Or... Is this somebody who's being controlled by Mephisto? And I kept trying to like make it work in my head, but now I'm just realizing we're really just seeing Wanda transition to Scarlet Witch. Right. And that's really making my experience of watching the show even better. Yeah. You know I mean? And, and the, the elements of this week's episode where, you know, Pietro has a conversation with Wanda about you know, how he came to be and, mm-hmm. and it's all about her repressed memories and, and things like that. So maybe she's not even aware of how things started, yeah. but she is the one that has actually created everything that we're experiencing right now. Don't get me wrong. I'm still suspicious. Right. I can't help but have that lingering feeling that something else is happening in the back, but we're just not 100% aware of it yet. Yeah. Right. And, and I think obviously it's going to be revealed in the next like three episodes, but I just feel like we're at that point where... If it was going to be somebody as big as Mephisto, I think it would have been revealed by now. Mm. I'm starting to lean towards the idea of like maybe a nightmare. That's the beauty about the last couple of episodes yeah. is we get a few answers, but then we still have major questions about what's really going on. 100%. And, and it's almost like that this show is slowly starting to peel the onion and we're slowly just starting to get to the center core now. Yeah, 100%. And along those lines, another thing that I really love, it was something we talked about last week where we're talking about how like Hayward is basically... He's establishing that hostility towards mutants and humans. And like this week, they basically confirmed that the blip is the reason that divide is there. Like it basically made it so like, why would regular people feel great about these superheroes when half of the world was basically eliminated because of them? Right. Right. Like they're, they're going to put the blame completely on them, even though like, obviously it's not, but there's going to be like a whole group of people that are just going to be blaming all these superheroes. And that's going to be the hostility going forward. And, it just didn't click in my mind that that's how they're going to establish that. It's genius. And the blip is the genesis of everything that we're going to see in Phase 4. We've, we started off with this, the Spider-Man movie, mm-hmm. right? We're, we've seen the effects of the blip in WandaVision. And we fully haven't really kind of comprehended or grasped how this has actually impacted various people, characters, storylines moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I think it's smart because that's an incredibly powerful thing or event to happen to have people disappear for five years, come back, and they look different, they've aged, and they haven't aged, and it changes relationships. Some people have died mm-hmm. while you were away, you know, for five years, as Monica Rambeau has experienced her mother passes uh, away while she's, um, you know, been blipped away for five years. So, yeah, I, I, I love this because it, it also means that 
they're not disregarding the blip. They're not like, oh, that was phase three and that was the end of that story. No, that has some serious consequences of how things are going what, to, what's going to happen moving forward, essentially. Think about how shit your life would be if for five years you were blipped away and then you get brought back and a couple of days later, Wanda just takes over your consciousness. Yeah. And then she just completely like ruins the next part of your life. Yeah. And in this episode specifically, it's like, the hex has expanded mm-hmm. so it's like now even more people yeah. are under her control yeah, and yeah. i guess we can get into it but like you know you know imagine if this keeps expanding and you exactly. know we talked about you know um monica rambo and you know how is she going to get her powers and we, we we saw this week's episode where she's kind of been through it now twice yeah where her molecular structure and dna is changing yeah, yeah exactly how many other people inside the hex or have experienced the hex gonna get so exposed to things like that and and have some changes occur and stuff yeah exactly yeah i mean we can talk about it right now like the idea of like how they're gonna explain how people turn into mutants right is gonna be very interesting because it feels like yes wanda is definitely the catalyst for mutants right regardless one way or another she's gonna be that person that makes this all happen but the question i have is it gonna be that wanda's changing these people or like basically like birthing mutants or is it that these genes are living dormant within people and she's just activating it? Right. Hayward has your blood work. You've gone through the boundary twice already, Monica. The energy inside has rewritten your cells on a molecular level twice. It's changing you. One thing I realized is we're experiencing like the whole reverse House of M kind of situation where in the end of House of M in the comics, she says no more mutants. And then that would be like this huge reset for, for the comic universe. Right. In this show, they're basically giving us the equivalent to the snap within the first, like, series right after Endgame. Yeah. Which is incredible. Like, that's going to be an earth-shattering moment in the MCU. Yeah, yeah, And we're about to get that within the next three episodes. Well, the interesting thing about how mutants come to be in the MCU and whether Wanda has any impact on that, which is why I'm theorizing about timelines and time travel and where WandaVision as a show was originally set Mm -hmm. it's thinking about characters like Magneto for example Mm -hmm. right who grew up during World War II Auschwitz right he has history as a character yeah right that is my like that's where I kind of find myself kind of confused yeah because how can you do a Magneto character going forward who's supposed to be Wanda's dad right who's supposed to be have gone through World War II like all that kind of stuff yeah but now we're only going to activate his mutation now. Yeah. Or like someone like Wolverine, who has supposedly been around for a couple of hundred years. Yeah, exactly. Already, before he gets the vibranium, you know, uh, endoskeleton and things like that. So, who knows? Maybe it's the fact that she's activating some mutants and maybe, uh, you know, the Wolverines, the Magnetas of the world and some of the more traditional X-Men that we've you know come to know over the years, maybe they come from a parallel universe or something like that happens, right? Um, but this is a major question that everyone's still thinking about because we know the X-Men are going to be involved as a part of Marvel's plan moving forward. It almost feels like the fact that this is like lingering yeah. is almost right now a detriment to how I'm viewing the show because I want answers so badly. <laughs> yeah. So I can't just sit around and just passively watch the show. I'm actively trying to figure out who, where is this person coming from? Is that a Magneto clue? Is this this? Like I'm just trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Um, but yeah, even even just going back to what I said before, like we're about to find out a bunch of answers, yeah. But there is for sure gonna be like that Baby Yoda or Luke Skywalker moment in this show, and we're about to have it happen right now. And I'm super excited to see how that does happen. But uh, I, I actually want to get your thoughts on a few other things, like because this week we got 
other characters that are kind of just lingering right now, but we don't really know what their motives are really. Like right now, we've we're almost at a weird place with Pietro and Agnes. Right, those are two characters I can't help but just I just don't have the right answers for them anymore. I'm wondering if the Evan Peters character that I guess must have lived as a real human being in this universe in the New Jersey area was it someone that died and got reanimated by Wanda with Agnes though I'm not still I'm still I don't know on the fence with regards to what her role is her character who she really is because she's been prominently placed as a figure in WandaVision from episode one Mm -hmm. and she's in the credits even in like this week's you know WandaVision opening credits that were kind of very similar to a Malcolm in the Middle TV show, she's listed as one of the family members yeah. as, as she's being introduced as an actor in the movie. In the TV exactly. Show. So she's already connected so closely with the family. Yeah. And my biggest thing is everything we've seen from her that was featured in the previews from when the show really first started, we've already seen now. Yeah. Like the whole, like for me, the biggest thing that I saw in the previews was her sitting in the car telling Vision that he's dead. Yeah. And that was like, okay, cool. Once we get to that, we'll have answers. Uh, now it's almost like, all right, what is her role in this? Uh, she still feels very suspicious to me. I can't immediately dismiss her. Um, also with Pietro, it's just interesting to see, like, he seems like he knows so much at this point that it's it's hard to just accept him as, like, the brother. Right. Like, none of that stuff with Pietro makes any sense to me. Like, I, I, I just can't imagine that he's not some sort of manipulation. Mm, maybe. I mean, the thing is, is, I guess, again, we don't know this for sure, but... If he's being created via Wanda's suppressed memories, then he would have all the knowledge of what happened in the past in terms of Wanda's memories of the past, in terms of Pietro dying and Vision dying and things like that, right? But if, he, if he's like somebody who Wanda created, wouldn't she have someone that would be under her like control? But this is the thing, right? Is has he been controlled or has he been created rather via her suppressed memories? Like she's not aware that in that episode she was like, I didn't do this. Yeah. But maybe again, this is her, this is the whole thing about Wanda. Like, does she is she even aware of what she's doing? Yeah. Is there an internal battle of like Wanda and the Scarlet Witch going on now? Is this like a you know a transformation happening before our very eyes that she's not even currently aware of? That's how powerful she is. So, again, we don't have the answer to that right now, but we can only theorize about it. It's kind of crazy because, like, even he does, like, this one little thing that really threw me off all over again was when he said, uh, unleash hell demon spawn to the kids. Yeah. And the whole idea in the comics is that these kids are, like, shards of Mephisto's soul or whatever it is. Right. So, that's another reference that points to Mephisto directly. And speaking of the kids, we actually saw them both actually get their powers. Yeah. So Speed has now his super speed, very much like Quicksilver. Mm-hmm. And literally right towards the end of the episode, we saw Wiccan control his, his twin brother Speed by stopping him and having, uh, I guess, uh, an image or having some flashbacks or flash forwards or something of Vision, his dad, going through hell outside the hex, which is, you know, at, the, at that moment in time when he tells Wanda, you know, hey, dad's in trouble type of thing. So... The kids are activated. They, the they've got their mutant powers. They're not only activated, but it also shows that they have their own consciousness and they're not just being controlled by Wanda. Yeah. Also, fun fact. Did you know that Wiccan actually ends up being the Sorcerer Supreme, much like Doctor Strange? Oh, at really? At some point, yeah. I had no idea about that. I thought no. that was interesting because like, you look at him now and he's kind of he's dressed in like his comic outfit, but it also feels a little bit 
Doctor Strangeish. He's be. got the cape. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. And I guess if if he starts to age normally when this show ends, by the time Benedict Cumberbatch is done playing Doctor Strange in I don't know five years, ten years, whenever that happens to be, then you've got someone that can take on that role moving forward. It's kind of interesting to think like what's going to happen to these kids anyways if Wanda is going to be this you know evil Scarlet Witch yeah there's going to be these two kids that are just innocent that are just kind of sitting there who are they going to go with I do like the idea in general of slowly starting to I guess introduce younger mutants and younger characters Mm -hmm. because ultimately everyone that's currently in the MCU as we saw with the departure of Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr you know, in the real world, in Hollywood, they can't continue to play these characters forever. Exactly. There's going to be a time when they have to kind of pass the torch. And so to kind of, you know, get some younger characters and younger actors involved now that can kind of play bit parts in either a TV show or have a cameo in a movie or something, it just helps them kind of get introduced on a slowly on a, on a slower basis before, hey, this is the person that's going to carry the, the franchise moving forward. Exactly. you got to lay that foundation yeah. slowly down. What? What is it, Billy? Oh, you're dead. My head. What was the final thing that Darcy found from Hayward? That's an interesting one. I'm trying to like think about what that might be my, uh, myself, and like uh, it's a, it's a tough one. Like I don't know, is he a scroll? Is he um, a villain? Obviously, we know like from the outside looking in, he appears to be one of those military agent types that's gonna basically not be very friendly towards mutants moving forward. Yeah, exactly. He feels very much to me like Trask did in the uh, X-Men movies. Yeah. So if like, if I'm theorizing, it feels almost like they're using Vision's body to kind of lay the foundation for Sentinels mm. in the future. And like that's like a big thing that was... I think they did have it in like Days of Future Past, but more importantly, like, they had it in the X-Men comic uh, 90s TV show. And that's where I knew about Sentinels and they felt like a very important part of the show back then. So I feel like that's where they're moving with that. Which I'll be happy with. Again, even a whole storyline around Sentinels, I want to to take their time with that. It doesn't doesn't need to be just one standalone movie or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, yeah, like you, I got introduced to the X-Men via the the, the animated cartoon when I was a kid. And Mm -hmm. Sentinels literally was like the first whole couple of seasons. It's like the first thing you see in the first episode. Jubilee is like running around and she's being chased down by a Sentinel. Yeah. I remember that so vividly. Yeah. Uh, who was the best character in this episode? Okay, so for me, it was Evan Peters. I really enjoyed, obviously, like the cliffhanger. We talked about it at Nauseam last week. I love that cliffhanger. But just to see him play out uh, Quicksilver or his version of Pietro in this world, I really enjoyed it. I thought he brought a lot to this, especially by the time we get to the end of the episode where he kind of in front of the kids say hey you know your dead husband can't die twice I'm like oh my god I can't believe you said that and Wanda just like you know blasts him and he goes flying I just thought overall the arc of this episode where he's giving information he's he's kind of talking to us as the audience and he's also confusing Wanda because she's trying to figure out why he looks the way he does thought it was a home run for Evan Peters personally I loved what Evan Peters did in this episode he was actually who I was going to go with initially but I'm still going with Vision yeah only because he Paul Bettany is just doing such a great job in yeah. the show if this is his last run within the MCU I hope he has like a future in some sort of other I don't know big role as a like some sort of franchise or something like that because he is killing it here and it feels like this is establishing him as a bigger star than any of the other MCU MCU movies have in the past yeah what was the best scene okay so for me by far easily it's when vision is getting destroyed uh, because he's leaving the hex and then the hex expanding mm. I mean talk about 
people trying to run away and we're seeing like these camps turn into circus tents and Darcy is now handcuffed and stuck inside the hex. What's going to happen to her? I'm so excited about that. Right? That is such an exciting prospect to me because she is such a fun character. She was actually in like my third running of best character this week. Yeah. Like, but on top of that, just to see how she's going to act because she fits perfectly in that sitcom style because she was actually in a sitcom before too yeah Kat Dennings and it'd be interesting to see how she's going to fit in that 2010s role and, and the way this whole scene ends which is like basically the end of this episode it's Hayward and a couple of guys in a, in a, in a truck escaping from the heck that is closing down on them and I, and I think they kind of get away because then you need to have some sort of like ongoing I guess storyline in terms of what they do next but maybe this is the catalyst maybe they've tried to handle this situation internally with kind of just the sword organization and maybe now he was like well basically my whole sword team is now stuck in the hex now I need help maybe now I call Doctor Strange or one of the other Avengers maybe this is what finally gives him the reason to do something like that but yeah. what another great episode ending cliffhanger Wanda is fuming vision is back in the hex is he dead or alive we don't know we're gonna find out next week what if hayward turns into a mutant somehow and that's like how he like gets superpowers and hit growing resentment with mutants mm -hmm. that's like how we create a supervillain within yep. the show i don't know that'd be interesting to me for me actually the best scene it's just it was real subtle but just that creepiness of that scene with agnes and uh vision where she's sitting in the car your vision are you here to help us What's an Avenger? What? Why don't you know? I just love that scene so much because it made me feel uncomfortable. It made me feel like something's still happening with Agnes and we're just not aware of it and just the way Vision was kind of playing off of her. Yep. I, I just kind of loved how they really established that and that's the creepiness that I want to see in Multiverse of Madness going forward because I know that's going to have some horror aesthetic to it. Yep. We're going to see where that goes. Uh, as far as the star rating goes, five being the best episode you've ever seen, zero being the worst episode you've ever seen, what'd you give this week? Gonna go for a 3.5. Uh, I gave last week's episode a four, um, and I feel like the reason I gave that episode a four was the end of that episode. It literally made me say, holy shit, because it was such a crazy cliffhanger. Not to say that this wasn't a fantastic episode, it certainly was, and I think a 3.5 is a deserving rating for this week. I went four and a quarter, same as I had last week, okay. only because I actually felt like it was on the same level as last week, but on top of that, this was the most I felt at the end of an episode where I was like, oh my god, I can't believe you just ended the show at this exact moment. Like, I needed to continue that right away. There's actually memes going around now with the please stand by, yeah. uh, end credit, static image. Uh, but yeah, so that's everything from WandaVision this week. I hope we definitely get a few more answers next week. I'm super excited for that. So I was watching an old Martin Scorsese interview where basically he's talking about how like filmmakers of substance need more support. Like he was saying the problem with movies is that that they're all like kind of amusement park films now. I'm sure we've heard about this in the past. The broader discussion I kind of wanted to have was the fact that the industry is kind of changing and the pandemic really kind of sped up what was inevitable. Like movie theaters are showing big budget films almost exclusively. It feels like Oscar season is the only time we really get smaller movies, right? That's the only time they really get any shine. But the bigger question I wanted to ask is, are movie stars, big directors even relevant anymore? Or is it just like, this is the UFC where the brand reigns supreme overall? No, I, I, I certainly feel like you know, filmmakers can still be the marquee. They can still be the reason you go to watch a movie. 
Case in point, Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. Like, but see, Chris Nolan is like one of those guys that he's still popular right now. Right. But he has that pedigree from like coming from like that last period of like the 2000s where you just really want to watch a movie from that specific director. Right. Is there anybody like we can think of now who really has like that that marquee name where they're going to be able to pull off a movie like Inception or something like that where it's going to be hundreds of million dollars worth of a budget. There's going to be like 10 A-list stars in the actual movie. How Like who can actually accomplish that anymore? Well, there's, there's a couple of names that I have in mind that I think can do it. Um, Ryan Coogler is probably one. Obviously, he's so baked into the MCU right now because he made Black Panther. But if you look at his uh, background, where he comes from, Fruitvale Station, mm-hmm. he, Creed, literally, he revived the whole Rocky franchise with a brand, you know, a brand new character in Creed. But I think if he stepped away from the MCU and did a passion project, I feel like that again, it just needs time, right? It's not as if Christopher Nolan right off the bat was making, you know, movies for 150, 200 million dollars and had a the pick of the litter in terms of who's going to be casting it, Even right? Even Chris Nolan had like the added benefit of doing Batman. Yeah. Post Batman, he could do literally anything he wanted. Exactly. At, at any budget. Inception, Interstellar, like who wants to be a part of a Christopher Nolan movie? I'll put my hands up, no problem, right? But I think Ryan Coogler is one. I feel like Alex Garland is another one. Um, he made at Ex Machina, which I freaking love that movie mm-hmm. he made Annihilation an all-female cast fantastic love that and I think he's got a great relationship specifically with Netflix and again this is where going to Martin Scorsese's point like maybe he doesn't get The Irishman made with a traditional studio mm-hmm. Netflix comes and says you want to make your four-hour movie go for it here's the money go go nuts right and we're not going to step in and get involved you can execute your vision and maybe that's where these stream platforms are going to start to I guess be a little bit more selective all right which filmmaker and we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago christopher nolan is now a free agent like which studio would wouldn't want to have christopher nolan as a part of their company give him a blank check go make your movie and i feel like there's some other filmmakers out there uh, the final one that comes to my mind right now is taika watiti again right but now see usually all three of these guys you just named, actually not alice garland but uh, if you talk about Ryan Coogler and Taika Waititi, both of these guys are still so like within that studio system. Right now they are, yes. Then again, does Taika Waititi end up making a movie like Jojo Rabbit right now if he's not baked into the studio system and being able to do a favor? If, is he able to do something like, let me do an episode of The Mandalorian or let me make a Thor movie. Whilst on the side, I'm going to make Jojo Rabbit, which is something that's going to be, like you said, award season type of movie. Um, maybe not. Maybe he doesn't have that cachet. And so I think we're in a situation right now where you have to play the game. Mm-hmm. And I get Martin Scorsese's point in terms of where he's coming from, but it's a different era. It's like Martin Scorsese made his name in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s with his movies, right? Different time, different era. Yeah. For a young filmmaker right now to do a passion project or original screenplay, something they, they've thought of, but it needs $100 million, for example. Maybe you don't get that right off the bat, but maybe you make a small independent movie. Now you go make an MCU movie or a Disney movie. You show the powers that be, yo, I can handle a big budget and I can handle a franchise. Oh, by the way, let me make this little side project I've got over here. Give me the money for it. They're probably more inclined to do that. You'll know for sure that you finally found a broker on Wall Street that you can trust and who can consistently make you money. Sound fair enough? As the times change, what constitutes a profitable movie in terms of genre, style of filmmaking, how much money you have to put in in terms of budget, whether it's an all-star cast, things like that, 
have changed. I think the 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 actor led movie, the 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 action star, like the the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, Stallone led movie of the eighties, a Tom Cruise led movie of the nineties and the early two thousands. I think that era is gone. Yeah. I, I don't feel like you know you're just going to be watching a movie based upon who's actually acting in it or who's got the the top billing on the marquee. And I feel like the second point is. It's a more of a global business now. Everything historically had been so reliant on how a movie performs at the US box office. And with globalization and with other markets, China, India, Europe, the UK and, and other markets having, again, pre-COVID, more cinemas and, and, and more theaters and, um, you know, more, you know, that's why, you know, uh, even the MCU make, try to make sure and going back to even movie like The Dark Knight, there was a specific scene shot in Hong Kong so they can check that box. Exactly. Right. That, hey, yeah. you know, we're, we're a global movie. This is a global universe and all the rest of it. And I think the only thing that you know, accelerates everything to be more global is over the top streaming platforms where you may have filmmakers or a, or a small movie that is successful in Korea or in China or Japan or, I don't know, Sri Lanka or New Zealand. All of a sudden, it gets a little bit of buzz. Netflix or Amazon or HBO Max jump on it buy it and all of a sudden exposes it to a much bigger audience. The crazy thing is like the idea of streaming markets, they're so huge on this side of the world, but they're not that big on like in like Asia or something like that. It's just like Netflix or HBO Max or stuff like that. It's just not popping at that same level. I think there's like a reluctancy, like just culturally in that way. But it feels like almost it's gonna be a situation where you release your movie on a streaming service and in the movie theaters over here. Mm-hmm. But over there, it's gonna be do, doing really, really well in the box office. Yep. So I, almost like a greater emphasis is gonna be put on trying to appeal to Asian markets. It's official, old buddy. It has been. What are you talking about? What did that guy tell you? Told me the goddamn truth is what he told me. I, I mean, it, this conversation kind of goes along with other like actors too, right? Yep. Like it's the idea of like, there are certain actors that can lead a movie and lead original movies and be able to uh, cement themselves as a legacy going forward. The biggest person that I always like look at in terms of having an amazing career is Leonardo DiCaprio, mm. where in the 90s he kind of established himself as part of that, like, that big, you know, uh, as Titanic, Romeo and Juliet and all that kind of stuff. And you get like the idea of being part of those big studio movies and then you kind of move on to just doing whatever you want. Yep. And like now he's so cemented that he can do any original movie. And I can never see him touching any kind of big franchise anymore. Like, could you see him, like Leo ever being part of the MCU or ever being part of like Star Wars or something like that? Here's the thing. There's no reason why he can't take on a character much like, you know, Robert Downey Jr. at a similar age to what Leonardo DiCaprio is right now. And I think Leo is what, in his late 40s or something like that? Yeah, but like... He took on like the, the role of Tony Stark. And, and I don't know what that character would be. Um, I, I'm always for it. Why not, right? Because then you can... It's, it, it's almost like breathing a, uh, a, you know, a breath of fresh air into your career. Now, does he need to do it? Absolutely not. That's the thing. He right? doesn't like, need to do like it. Like Robert Downey Jr. was coming off like basically being cancelled before yeah. being cancelled was a thing. Of course. Right? And of course. Like, Leo's like at the top. Like he's just been riding being at the top for the past like two decades. Yeah. But here's the thing. When a massive star and an actor with the ability of a Leonardo DiCaprio enters the world like the MCU, it just adds more credence to that world. That's the thing about the MCU that I've, I've loved from the get-go. It's like, 
yeah, you can from the outside looking in, you can say, oh, every single movie is the same. It's like you know, action, action and special effects. Well, no, we've seen other comic book movies completely mishandled from the top down, from the writing, the directing, the acting, the special effects. <laughs> Wonder Woman 1984 is a prime example of that. Yep. There's a reason why nine times out of ten, all of these MCU movies are hits, both critically and commercially. It's because they're well made, they're well executed, they have incredible filmmakers behind the scenes that know what they're doing, and then you have some awesome actors at various different stages of their careers that are involved in these projects. And yes, they are commercially viable and they make a lot of money, but they're freaking good movies to watch too. Absolutely. Uh, the only thing is like, all right, so let's say we're going along those same lines, right? And we're thinking about like who the future is gonna be and all mm. that. Uh, so if we're looking at like Leo as like the Michael Jackson yeah. of this whole thing, like, right now, there's, like, people who are, like, the next Usher or Justin Timberlake, like, kind of competing for that next spot. For me, like, the two guys that I kind of see fit in that role are Timothy Chalamet and Tom Holland. Right. Right? Like, they feel like they're kind of competing for that spot of, right. like, all right, I want to be the next guy. Right? And I don't know who's, like, I, I, I have my own personal opinion who's, like, a better actor. I don't know who's going to have a stronger resume going forward because it feels like those are the two guys that are going to be competing to kind of solidify themselves outside of this huge studio thing. Because, like, Tom Holland's establishing himself with Superman or Spider-Man right now. And, like, later on, he's, I, I don't know, he might just completely step away from that. It feels like Timothy Chalamet is trying to avoid that altogether. And he's going with Dune. Dune's going to be, like, a really complete left-turn version of, like, trying to be part of, like, a franchise. Yep. Because, like, that's going to be a, such a sci-fi experience. I think it's going to be more akin to, like, I don't know, that reverence that, like, Lord of the Rings kind of has. He has the potential, but let's not forget, Leonardo DiCaprio also had one of the highest grossing movies of all time, a cultural phenomenon that was Titanic, that really elevated, everybody knew who DiCaprio was after Titanic, yeah. and it really gave him the power to choose and, and pick and choose what he wanted to do in terms of projects moving forward. And I remember he even took like a massive gap of time away after Titanic. He kind of let that kind of resonate and, and let it do, take its course before he came back a, a good few years later with The Beach, um, which was an okay movie, not probably one of his, his better movies, but he took some time away because Titanic was such a you know, cultural phenomenon. Um, and Timothy Chalamet doesn't have that big action blockbuster breaking all the records movie on his resume right now maybe it's dune maybe it's not maybe it's something else i feel like with tom holland though it could go one of two ways it could be toby Maguire again very similar comparisons with all right you've got this you know superhero franchise as your anchor but then you can still you know pick and choose some independent movies in between these mcu movies it could go in that direction uh, or hopefully considering how young he is still maybe he's able to do what I guess Tobey Maguire never ended up actually doing. Yeah. And it's escaping that environment of, all right, I'm known for Spider-Man, but I'm, I'm struggling to latch on to other franchises or actually create a path that's going to give me some consistency in my career as an actor. There are a couple of other names that have come to mind and they're not as young as a Tom Holland or, or a Timothy Chalamet is right now, but then they're also not as old. Um, as Leonardo DiCaprio and I don't want to call him like uh, old in terms of him being a dinosaur but it's just I feel like he's been around in our lives for like almost 25 years I mean listen in old like in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood he's playing an old actor yeah so at this point he's in that role yeah um, but I feel like Michael B. Jordan mm -hmm. and Robert Pattinson are two actors who are right now in their prime 
they have they have history. They they have a legacy of entering the game, you know, very very young. In two in, in the in the case of Robert Pattinson, you know, he got himself involved in a fantastic franchise, Twilight, um, which was a massive commercial hit. Took some time away, so people almost you know were able to forget about him. Yeah. And he started to kind of make a comeback, and now he's coming back in a massive way with the Batman. But I feel like even seeing his performance in Tenant, I was like, wow, this guy can really act. And now that he's an at B the Batman moving forward, that's going to remind people, okay, Robert Pattinson on the headline, maybe this is something that we can get involved with outside of superhero movies. And with someone like Michael B. Jordan, obviously we saw him in, in Black Panther, we've seen him in Creed, he's, you know, picking some really interesting projects away from the big blockbuster uh, movies as well. And he's still so freaking young, he, like, he could literally be that Denzel for the next 20-25 years. So those are the kind of actors I'm very interested in where I am fascinated about their movies. Oh, Robert Pattinson's this movie? I'm going to watch it. Michael B. Jordan is in this movie? I'm definitely going to watch it. I'm not there, though, with a Tom Holland. I'm not there, though, with a Timothy Chalamet right now. You know, speaking of the next Denzel, I always, like, everybody obviously wants to find the next big actor or whatever. If we're talking about that, for me, it's Daniel Kaluuya. That dude... Every time he's in a role, number one, it's not because he's part of a huge franchise. He's is part of Black Panther, but like in a smaller role. Right. But for me, that guy in Get Out, in uh, Queen and Slim, I haven't seen Judas and the Black Messiah, but I've heard amazing things about it. But he just has this star quality about him. Yeah. And the resume that he's building, I feel like he's going to, at some point, hit that pop culture thing where everybody's going to want to see what he does. And I feel like he's he's... He's one role away from being recognized as one of the top actors in the industry. Yeah. Um, just also, just want to give a quick shout out to Florence Pug. I feel like she's going to be somebody also. She has like that same appeal to me. Like if you've seen Midsummer, the way she makes you feel like empathy towards her is incredible. The movie obviously is like one of the weirdest fucking movies I've ever seen in my life. I don't know if you've ever seen it yet, but <laughs> it's really fucked up. Uh, but uh, it's a great movie but she also has like that whole thing where she's kind of in the middle she's in Black Widow in the future but she has this huge like art house kind of background where you know that that, that thing's gonna like her resume is gonna be so strong by the time she does pop yep. and does become a mainstream person I need someone to show me my place in all this alright so now let's just get into a few other news items of the week the one thing that caught my eye this week was a brand new Justice League trailer obviously Zack Snyder's Justice League the Snyder Cut is coming it's coming around the corner in March and this trailer showed so much new footage it feels like this is going to be a whole new movie I think the biggest takeaway for me was just seeing that image of the Joker uh, right at the end um, so there's tons of footage of Jared Leto playing the Joker that mm -hmm. we haven't seen before is this going to be a whole new movie am i going to enjoy it any more than the original justice league the the cases the, the jury is out on that one i have super low expectations I heading have, in i have no expectations going <laughs> yes yeah. that's the biggest thing i have zero expectations so i am like mildly optimistic because you know it's got to be better than the last thing right because like, i really hated the original justice league right but uh you know let, let's see what happens this is like the, yeah. the, the biggest thing is they're taking a big swing to like remake a fucking studio movie yeah right like they're spending money on a movie that's already made so it's really interesting to see how this works because if this does work because i actually low-key i do hope it works because yeah. i would I, sometimes when you watch a tv show or a movie and you're like fuck i can't believe they fucked that storyline up yep i would love the opportunity for like a streaming service to give us you know a different reality where we could just you know not do what happened in the movie all right cool in 
the HBO Max version, we turn left and we instead we go to a completely different storyline. Like, I have I so much that. sympathy for the DCEU. It's, it's, gone, it's come to the point where I have very little faith in the, the franchises moving forward and I don't know what's going to happen. And the biggest thing about the Snyder Cut is why am I getting invested we know that there's no more <laughs> Ben Affleck Batman moving forward. Yeah. So you're retconning this movie, but what does that mean for the franchises moving forward and the overall... That's the thing about the MCU. is like you're invested, you get the payoff, and you know that maybe a couple of years down the, down the line, the, this character's going to come back. Or it's just, you know, I don't want to go down the whole Marvel DCU <laughs> rabbit hole right now. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. bottom line is, I'm hoping for the best here. I am too. We also got confirmation that Ryan Johnson's Star Wars trilogy is still happening. After The Last Jedi and the mixed response to that, I actually, I had a weird experience with The Last Jedi. At first, when I initially watched it, I thought, all right, this is good, but I don't love it. And then I, every time I've rewatched it, now I like it more and more and more. I don't know if you've had that same experience, but how, are you excited for that trilogy? Here's the thing about the Star Wars trilogy. Because there was no plan from, de- from day one, because it get, get, kept getting passed from filmmaker to filmmaker, there was no consistency there. This is the right move. Give one filmmaker an opportunity to tell a story over a trilogy and let them you know, put onto the screen what their vision is. Because with episode seven, eight, and nine, we just got so many different visions of what they wanted to do with these characters. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm all on board for him getting his shot now with his own trilogy. I fully agree. I feel like if, if we had just one person running the show for a trilogy, the, uh, the Skywalker saga just finishing up, that would have been great. So now he gets to completely right every single wrong. And I feel like the way he was going left with Star Wars and trying brand new things, I'm so excited to see where he goes in the future. Another cool thing is Netflix actually confirmed a documentary that they're working on. Actually, not even working on. That's done. That's going to be released on March 1st on the life of the Notorious B.I.G. Wow. Titled, I Got a Story to Tell. And it's executive produced by Biggie's mom and Diddy. So I'm super excited about that. Yep. I love documentaries in general anyway, especially when they're done right. And telling the life of the Notorious B.I.G., that is going to be a good one. In, in terms of this, there's enough there to bite on and chew on and tell. Um, if they can execute it and if the family is involved and Diddy's involved, I'm sure they will. Yeah, I hope so. I hope it's amazing because especially like coming off the last dance from last year, I feel like there's got to be something that kind of fills in that gap this year. Yeah. And I hope it's something like this because Biggie, one of my favorite rappers, one of the best rappers of all time. So I'm really excited to see where that goes. Everybody got to eat, you know what I'm saying? I found something I was good at and I'm just trying to flip it, you know, keep it going. You know what I'm saying? I ain't trying to slack at all. We also have the new show, The Last of Us, based on the video game, is finally getting its show done, it's getting made, and also they signed Pedro Pascal as a lead, and also he has said that that show gets first position, meaning that it has priority over The Mandalorian. Wow. Isn't that interesting? That's fascinating, considering he is playing the title role in The Mandalorian. He is The Mandalorian. He is The Mandalorian, yeah. Wow. The season three of The Mandalorian, especially coming off the Gina Carano news and all that kind of stuff, yeah, it's kind of an interesting place because we we left at such a high note, yeah, and now all these other things are kind of happening before they really get to kick off again. Yeah, I feel like um, Pedro Pascal's on a good spot though because I don't really know too much about The Last of Us as a video game. Mm-hmm. I didn't play it. I know it's a cultural phenomenal hit, and I feel like we haven't really seen a solid. I guess, representation of a video game, whether it's on TV or on, on a scale of a movie. So I'm down to see this play out and hopefully it's a hit for him. Yeah, me too. All right, so that's all the news items of the week. 
Let's get into the recommendation segment of the week. Let's get wrecked. John, what's your recommendation for the week? All right, so for me, it's a an old show that I actually completely missed out on on its original run, and that's Dexter. Dexter is available on Crave in Canada, and I believe it's HBO or HBO Max uh, in the US. I actually recently just got Crave as a part of my yearly subscription, so I've kind of got access to the whole HBO catalog that's typically available to, to US residents. My wife was a big fan of Dexter. She watched it. I never watched it at all. So she was down to re-watch the whole show from, from the get-go with me. I just got through season one, started season two. I can't recommend it enough. It's it's great. It's really, really good. And the fact that Dexter is actually coming back with a brand new season later on this year, I believe that's going to be on HBO Max, has kind of got me invested to actually watch uh, the original, I think, eight or, se- eight or nine seasons that it's got uh, in the run-up to this. Because from what I remember, and again, I don't know how the show ends, but it's commonly referred to as one of the worst endings in TV show history. Fans were not happy with how Dexter ended up finishing off. So the fact that they're coming back with a brand new season might be a way for them to kind of sort that out. This is what I'm talking about. The fact that we have these streaming services, now you can redo the ending of everything. Right. You don't like Game of Thrones? All right, cool. They're going to release the book? Let's redo it. Yeah. They can do it. Why not? Yeah. Uh, so my pick this week was actually uh, just a classic from like the early 2000s. Obviously, I've been on a Richard Linklater kick for the past couple of weeks. Dazed and Confused. Everybody wants them. And this week, I'm going with School of Rock. Uh, Jack Black, that's like his, this is the best thing he's ever done. It's the best thing he's ever going to do. I've even seen interviews where he talks about like, if he dies, this is going to be on my tombstone. I'm happy. Like he, Everything else is like just that cherry on top. But uh, it's such a great movie. The premise is almost like so weird that it shouldn't work. It's just like a guy who's taking over like a substitute teaching role and he's teaching all these kids, turns them into a rock band. Like That shouldn't make any sense. But it does. It works so well. It's got so much heart. I uh, absolutely loved it. I mean, I, I, this is the first time I actually watched it. Like I've heard about it for so long, but I just never got around to it. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's such a great movie. I can't recommend it enough. I think you'll have a great time watching it. But uh, that's the show for the week, Joma. Where can everybody find us? Okay, so we are at Screen Off Script on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're available on Spotify. We're available on Apple Podcasts. And for those of you that do listen to us on Apple Podcasts specifically, rate and review us. It goes a long way on helping us get found on that particular platform. So that would be much appreciated. Awesome. Thank you for checking us out this week, guys. Take care.